Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Risenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. In September 2017, Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico and with it, the infrastructure supporting the daily life and health care of more than 3 million people. Six months following the hurricane, a team from the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation traveled to Puerto Rico in order to assess the recovery of the healthcare system. What they found, after interviewing residents, business owners, and healthcare providers, was that some areas were faring better than others, and that there was much more work to be done before the islands could return to a state of normalcy. While progress had been made, there was still a long list of issues with delivering healthcare on the island including increased physical and mental health needs, people continuing to leave the island, continued power and communication problems, and job losses causing patients to lose private health coverage. Last month, a year after the hurricane hit, a new issue brief from the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation reported a list of hurricane-related problems still facing the island. The report found that healthcare providers are still seeing increased needs related to chronic conditions and medication adherence, anxiety about the hurricane season has increased mental health needs, there are still frequent outages and persistent staffing shortages. With more than 450,000 members on the island, InnovaCare Health, which operates the oldest Medicare Advantage plan on the island, was one of the many healthcare organizations impacted by the storm. Today, we speak with InnovaCare's CEO, Dr. Richard Shinto, to discuss the impact of the hurricane on InnovaCare and its members, as well as what challenges they still face a year after the storm. Hi, Dr. Shinto. Thanks for joining us today. No, hi. Thank you. Thank you very much for the time. So before we jump into Hurricane Maria and its impact on InnovaCare, would you mind giving a brief background on InnovaCare? Well, Novacare is a New Jersey-based company. We were founded back in 1998. Um, at that time, we, the company was focused on managing different medical groups, acquiring them across the United States. And some of the largest acquisitions were in California. It wasn't until early 2000 that they saw a very good opportunity in Puerto Rico, and they acquired a a managed care, a Medicare Advantage health plan there. And it's, it's been, uh, you know, that, that area has really grown in managed care, especially in specifically in the um, Medicare arena. So today our company is about $2.7 billion. We have, um, we, we have about 470,000 members on the island of Puerto Rico, 260,000 are in Medicaid and 210,000 are in Medicare Advantage, where more than 50% of them are the dual population. But, you know, one of the things that the company has really focused on is we've broken the company. And this is something that I started when I took over was to break it into two areas of focus. On one side, we focus specifically on the member and how we improve the member's experience and their journey. And that's been through the health plan. And then on the other side of it, we built a platform specifically for the providers so that we could teach the providers how to take different degrees of risk understand value-based metrics, and it just it deals with all of their issues. And through it, combining the two, 
has really resulted in some great results. I mean, if you look at something in the States that's comparable, it would be like United and Optum, or it'd be like Kaiser and Permanente. But that strategy has been very successful for us on the island. And as you mentioned, approximately half of your members are dual eligible, and you've received Puerto Rico's first and only four and a half star quality rating from CMS. So how have you targeted these populations in order to improve their care? Well, you know, when you look at um, Puerto Rico, it's an island that's very poor, and there's a, a lot of, most of the people just have basic education. And so a lot of them need a, a better understanding of what good medical care is. And it's, you know, I, I use this phrase all the time, you don't know what you don't know. And so what we've tried to institute, and we consider our, ourselves the pioneers of this on the island, is to drive really strong quality so that that population of duals, which means that you know they have both Medicare and Medicaid, um, that they really understand what high quality healthcare is about. That's why our plan, uh, when I took over, we aggressively became NCQA accredited. And then when the STARS program started, we, we spent a lot of time growing and educating the population on how to understand quality and STARS. And it's, it's really been a mantra for the company. It's interesting when you fly into Puerto Rico, if you're sitting on the left-hand side of the plane and you're coming in at night, you're going to see a 100-foot sign with MMM, which is our logo, and under it will be four, like, 25-foot stars and a half of one. So it's interesting because I think in the States, they don't push the, the term stars, but it's really become part of the um, vernacular down here with members and understanding what quality is about. So... A little over a year ago, Hurricane Maria hit. So how was Novacare impacted by this hurricane, and what different steps and efforts have you taken or continuing to take in order to mitigate these impacts for your members? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, this Medica- this hurricane, um, and um, today I was watching the one that hit um, into the panhandle of Florida. It, it was very devastating. And, and I always look at how what happened in Hurricane Maria is in different phases. When the hurricane hit and there was no power and no water at that time, even a company like ours rented at least a, um, a, a 737 plane and brought in supplies and then took off a lot of people that needed care on uh, that couldn't get their care, health care on the island. We took them back to the mainland. And if you think about it, probably in that first couple of months, something like 240, 250,000 people were leaving the island. And because of that movement and attrition of membership and that attrition of the providers, it really impacted um, access to care. And I think what we've really been focusing on and what it brought a real realization to all of us was the, the paucity of facilities that were hurricane-proof that really had the generators and the water supply to be available even after something as devastating as a hurricane came to the island. I think a lot of us became aware of it. We've, we've really rebuilt differently. But the one thing that has become, and it's just settled into our heads, are two areas that we as a company have focused on after the hurricane, and that's access to care and the social determinants of care. I think uh, when you hear about these death rates that happen in and the governor said there was 69 people. I, I think there's probably some truth to that when you talk about direct deaths from the hurricane. But when you look at the numbers that have come out from Harvard, from um, Penn State, 
and from George Washington University. They're coming in with numbers about 3,000 to 4,000. And those are more from secondary indirect causes of death. And, and that has to do with access to care. And when you think about transportation, there is no bus system on the island that works well. And there's limited taxis outside the, the big cities. And so when members have no roads and then they have to get their medical care, their dialysis, to try to figure out transportation was um, was a pretty difficult task. And I got to tell you, I went up there even as late as a month ago. It's gotten a lot better, but there's still a lot of bridges that are out and roads that are still trying to be repaired. I think the other thing that we focused on as a health plan is after you see the realization of a disaster, you start looking at benefit design. And since we're a health plan and we really focus on the member, we've really changed some of our benefits in order to address the needs of, uh, of our beneficiaries um, post-Hurricane Maria. I think a big benefit we put in place now is uh, transportation. So we provide transportation. I'd love to supply, uh, provide unlimited transportation, but that's a little bit difficult. We um, have, we provide transportation as a new benefit. We put in over-the-counter OTC drugs, but we did it all by mail order so people can get their, their drugs and their medications just shipped directly. I mean, that's something that's new for the island that hasn't been – mail order doesn't really exist on the island for drugs and something that we're trying to push now. And the other thing that we really have been pushing on is how to – give supplemental diets to people that need them maybe after a hospitalization. These are all ways we're looking at healthcare differently to address the needs of that population. And what we saw after everything was stripped down to nothing um, from the hurricane. I think another thing that we're looking at um, spending a lot of time is the providers. It's interesting about subspecialty and we've lost quite a few um, subspecialists. And so you know, one of the things that you do is you give patients appointments to go see a doctor so then they have to figure out how to get there. But we as a company now are building clinics across the island so that we could have specialists go to those clinics to put them more in proximity to the member. I mean, there was a real realization, and I think the biggest one was power and transportation. That was the one that really devastated the island. So one of the things that stuck out to me that you mentioned are these social determinants of health like power and transportation to get to the doctor. A lot of healthcare discussions now focus on these determinants and the impact that they have on a patient's health. For a lot of your members, I'm sure these determinants and access to care were a challenge before the hurricane, and I can imagine how much worse it got after the storm. So how much of a focus did you put on addressing these determinants, and in particular, access to care with things like transportation? I think, um before you step off on that one, I, I think one of the other things that became an issue um, and was if you look at the number of single seniors, um, it's high across the United States. It's very high in Puerto Rico. One of the things that we've done is now we've built some more of what we call our members clubs. And they're, for, they're, tra- to, they're really to impact both medical and mental health care. I mean, loneliness is a, a, a very serious problem. Just think about living on an island. It's not like you can get in a car and drive someplace and go visit. You're going to only drive so far, and then you're going to go in a circle. And, and when you start thinking about loneliness and what to do when you have no, no, you're by yourself. So we built these clubs, and now we're building more of them. And they're built um, similar to a members club. 
I mean, to an Admiral's Club. So, you know, the airlines have them, so it's a place where you could uh, a respite. You go there, you could play dominoes, you could socialize, um, you could do your email. But most importantly, importantly is being able to socialize with other people that are alone and lonely. And these are kind of things that we as a company are having to look at to address social determinants. I wish the premium for us would, would be a lot higher in the island, similar to what, because we're only getting, or we're getting significantly less than what they're getting in the, on the mainland. And if we had more premium to work with, I know that our company would be looking at housing and other ways to address um, diet. Um, the, the, this, the, this whole issue concerning social determinants, especially on a poor island like Puerto Rico, is really paramount to address. I think the question you were asking me earlier about the problems about um, that we're seeing about access to care, I think one of the areas is, I talked about the transportation, but think about, too, the number of people that have left the island. Many of those are the working class. So those are caretakers for a lot of our membership. And so as a result of that, again, it even stresses the system more because now they don't even have family members to actually provide transportation or to pick up their medications. I think that... Um, uh, we're starting to see a lot going on with regard as people are addressing infrastructure building and to access to care to make sure the hospitals are more durable, that they have the right generators, they have the right um, power. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I was um, in, in the mountains and, um, and I, I, it was an interesting, I went to one of the hospitals that was really devastated. But again, think about it. You build your, your hospitals on a hill but your generator's at the bottom of the hill, and then the hurricane comes through, and the water just rises so high that it just floods the valley, so your generator is in the valley, so you lose all your power. And even if, even, even if the water is seeded, your, 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 your generator is essentially damaged. So everybody is looking at how to improve access to care, but to do it smarter, and to do it more strategically. And I think that's something that that kind of awareness is really something that has to be addressed, not only on the island, but as you can see across even the United States and in Houston, um, people don't, don't, they don't recognize the power of natural disasters. And, you know, it's a discussion that I've had with the, the, the Kaiser people because of the amount of work they've, they've done across the country with the fires in California, the volcano in um in Hawaii and all the flooding that has gone on across the United States due to these hurricanes. So there's been a lot going on. I think from the company's perspective, I mean, what we're, we've been really trying to address on with regard to access to care is just trying to tie both that provider side to make sure the providers are rebuilding the right way too, because down the island, there aren't a lot of clinics. Most of the doctors are independent. So as a result of that, you start to lose. When you have just a one-man practice, it's hard for you to invest in rebuilding an entire radiology center, lab, and exam rooms instead of partnering up with other doctors and trying to build a clinic instead of just the one, uh, one doctor office. So there's a lot going on right now with strategy and looking at how to provide care differently into the future. A year after the hurricane, what challenges do you and your members still face? I, well, that's an interesting question. I think that, um, I'm sorry to keep going back to the social determinants, but th that has been one of the areas of significant focus um, even one year later. 
I mean, it, uh, you, you still go into parts of the island, especially into the mountains. You still see a lot of plastic, blue plastic on the roofs. The roofs haven't been replaced yet. I mean, th that's still an issue. People get very concerned when they even see uh, a hurricane tilting towards Puerto Rico. So there's a lot of stress um, on uh, from a mental perspective. There's a lot of issues concerning um, um, preparing and making sure you have enough food, water for anything that might happen at the disaster. Everybody runs a little bit on edge. And I think the area that has been the biggest, another area of big concern for a lot of us on the island has been the power. How, how stable will be that power? You know, when I sat with the governor and we talked about this, I mean, the, the, the vision of the government, what they're trying to build is, you know, after the hurricane passes, can they pull a switch and then all, all the power comes back across the island and everybody has electricity? I, I can tell you right now, that's not going to happen. And I'm not exactly sure how long if, if another Category 4 hurricane hits the island, I mean, how much power would actually be there. So it, it is a concern even one year, and both from a mental perspective and from a physical and clinical and medical perspective. Right. And so prior to Hurricane Maria, you guys launched a chain of clinics called VitaCare, which targets those with chronic conditions. So how has the role of these clinics expanded since the hurricane? You know, one of the things that we we knew that in our company, within within, I remember when we were on a phone call during the hurricane, even though we were losing all communication, as soon as the hurricane passed across the island, uh, we were already back in communication with each other, and then we were up operational within a day, and we were already connecting with all of our employees within a few days. And most importantly, we were getting a lot of our offices going within the week. I tell you that story because um, I'm glad we had these clinics and we built mobile clinics very quickly to go across the island. These aren't just taking one van. This is um, a 40-person entourage with a big tanker truck with water, uh, a semi full of food, and then a lot of tents to build clinics. And I tell you that story because the VitaCare clinics were an important part of that. I mean, we had the clinics, we were able to bring them up as quickly as we could, and that's what we're doing now. We're gonna build more clinics, because with those clinics, we could provide direct transportation to the clinics, we can move subspecialists to the clinics, and the most important part is being able to provide more interdisciplinary services. Think about it, if you go there, there's a pharmacy there, there's a social worker there, there's dietitians there, there's um, administrators that help you fill out any kinds of forms, like those FEMA, uh, those FEMA forms. So there's a lot going on in the clinics besides just doing the, the clinical side of it. And I think people need more of that. I think the island needs more clinic models. It can't exist as a thousand, not a thousand, 10,000 individual practices. It needs to be maybe groups and staff models. And I think our company is trying to lead the way to force more of the providers to say, you know what, I'd rather just start working in a clinic and that way everything's protected and I'm pretty much guaranteed at least an income, standards of care, and I can manage the quality and the patients and not worry about if I'm going to have a roof over my head. I think clinics like the VitaCare ones are the ones that are going to start driving healthcare change on the island. So amidst recovering from Hurricane Maria, 
a certified fiscal plan called for an $841 million cut in healthcare spending in Puerto Rico by fiscal year 2023. And as part of this plan, managed care organizations will shift from operating in eight regions down to a single territory-wide region. How do you think this will affect you guys and your members? Just to give you a little bit of color, the original Medicaid plan by the current governor was started by his father, uh, Governor Rosario, and um, he his vision was to have one region. But in order to make it work, the island's really divided into eight regions. And it, it makes sense because there's mountains, there's rural areas, there's the coastal. And so as a result of that, um, that's, how the, that's how the Medicaid has existed on the island. I think a couple of things. When you take something that is pretty much fixed and everybody knows that in this region, these are the hospitals, these are the doctors, this is the population, you build your strategy to manage it to that one region. But when you build something now that is across the entire island, it changes. And what happens is, is that the positive, which is what the governor wants to do, which makes sense, he wants to make sure everybody has choice. So now, instead of having only one health plan in one region, now you have five health plans across the entire island. So number one, choice got better. Number two, access got better. Um, people were able to get more access to care uh, in the sense that if they didn't want to get the care, the specialists that they were seeing in their region, they can go to another region now. And the third thing that I think is a positive has been that it's going to force more standardization of care. So if you think about the management of, um, of chronic uh, of congestive heart failure in one region by one health plan, it might be different than another health plan in another region. But now that you've moved it across the island, everybody is going to start seeing standardized care. And I think that's a good thing. I think the negative is, is that your medical costs are going to go up because now people are going to be seeking care all over the island. I think the other thing too, administrative costs are going up because now you're going to have to deal with the sales, the marketing, you're going to have to deal with members getting care in different parts of the island. Those have significant costs. I mean, one of the things about managed care is to try to at least control those areas, but now it's going to be open access. It's going to create some serious problems, but again, we'll get through it. I just think that um, if you, when you start looking at it, you got to weigh the positives and the negatives. You know, you mentioned something about this whole 841 million that we need to get out of the system. You know, it's interesting. Um, Puerto Rico lives on somewhere half the amount of dollars on a per member basis than the rest of the mainland. And yet we're still having to get another $841 million out of the system. And one of the comments I've said is that, I mean, what we're getting right now is to just to maintain healthcare. It's not really helping to really improve it and solve issues kind of like chronic disease or wellness and prevention, because it's going to be difficult to spend those dollars in wellness and prevention and managing chronic disease because we're having to cut more, more services off the island. And when you start cutting and cutting, when you have such a high uh, prevalence of disease, all it does is make the, the prevalence even go higher. And that's going to be a serious problem. I've had this discussion with the with the fiscal oversight board. We've had a lot of discussion about it, but again, um, they believe that we need to get more money out of the system. I believe money can come out of the system, but sometimes 
you have to do it smart. You can't just blanket cut. So now, looking back and reflecting on Hurricane Maria, how has the storm influenced InnovaCare's disaster preparedness for the future? I think what happens when a disaster hits, and I'm from California, when when you get hit by a big disaster, then you get, after that point, you become more over-prepared for everything, right? So after the hurricane, after earthquakes get hit in California, everybody does their earthquake preparedness kits. They, they put their big trash can full of supplies in the garage. They make sure they know where they're going to run when the hurricane the earthquake comes. It's the same thing in Puerto Rico. So now that the hurricane has come and people realize that, that a category four or five hurricane can actually hit the island because many people believe what the Taino Indians believe, which are the natives of the island, that the island was protected from big hurricanes. And somehow, if you see the number of hurricanes that go through the Caribbean, most of them bypass Puerto Rico. And it has to do more with the weather and, and the conditions of the island that drives and changes the directions of storms, but they believe that. But now, after seeing one hit and come through the island, now everybody's taking it more serious. And so there's been a lot more from even in our position of the capital investment in buildings and just backup security, backup on our electricity, our electronics, all our technology. You know, one of the things that we did have going for us was when we had the hurricane, we had command centers both on the mainland and on the island. And we were able to communicate with each other with satellite phones and whatever. But now we're even strengthening that up. And, it's, and, and that's something that everybody's having to take a, a stronger look at. I think we're also looking at trying to better figure out better communication strategies between the company and the providers, the companies and the members, and the company and the employees. I think these are all areas that now everybody's paying more attention to. And I think that, that's a good thing. I mean, whenever something really bad happens, everybody has to take a back, a seat back and say, what could we have done better? And then prepare for it so the next time it comes, um, we don't have the devastation and the, um, the number of deaths that we had, that we saw last year with Hurricane Maria. So do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to mention that we haven't talked about that you think is important to bring up? I think I, I, I really appreciate some time with you. I think that People have to recognize that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. I think that when you start, if you took a real deep dive into Puerto Rico and you looked at the healthcare economics, how much the island receives, how much the island is um, uh, not entitled to certain types of um, um, government support that you see as common day-to-day government support on the mainland, but doesn't exist on the island. I think if you start to recognize all that, I, I appreciate this time because all I'm trying to do is bring more awareness. I think um, being from California, I never knew where Puerto Rico was until I was asked to go down there. I, mean, I knew where Hawaii was, but Hawaii is a state. And if you think about Puerto Rico and Hawaii are on the same latitude, okay? The same latitude. And yet when you go there and you look at the healthcare and how much money has been put in the healthcare system, it's night and day. And in order to really improve the overall quality of care, money has to be put in there. But also besides that, the what you called earlier, the social determinants of health, such as food and dietary and looking at that has to be addressed. And I think that's, that's something global, not, not only across the United States, 
and specifically it has to be looked at areas of the country where there's high poverty, high and lack of education like Puerto Rico. So again, thank you for the time because it, it hopefully will bring some recognition to what's going on down there because it, it is um, pretty distressing to see the conditions. Of course, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, good, thank you for the time. To learn more about Hurricane Maria and its lasting impact on Puerto Rico, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes.